Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is Good Friday, but an awful lot of people out there are getting a bad feeling about what's going on out there. Vaccine passports, traffic light travel systems, mass testing at airports and being stopped from watching football if you're not clean, in inverted commas. All very worrying signs that this government is still terrified of a virus that is dissipating before our very eyes. The front pages this morning are full of suggested ways out of the lockdown when the biggest and the best solution might just be that infections are down and are going further down. The Prime Minister is reportedly keen to trial COVID passports, but there are plenty of MPs from all parties who aren't going to vote for it. And I'm standing very firmly in their camp today, I can tell you that. Why should you have to prove you've had a virus or a vaccine to enter an arena or a football ground or a restaurant? When is this government going to understand that the British people will not be pushed, cajoled, forced or nudged into some kind of zombie-like compliance just because Chris Whitty thinks we all should? Get a life, mate. Hop off. Go and have a holiday somewhere. Oh, no, you can't, can you, because of you. 03444991000. We'll be kicking off this morning with Tory MP for Ashfield. It is, of course, Lee Anderson, who will have a thing or two to say about lockdown, I'm sure. But we're also talking to events promoters and hospitality specialists who are aghast at the idea of policing any such passport policies on their own front doorsteps because it's going to cost them quite a bit of money. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you as well. Easter weekend is upon us and the roads are pretty quiet in London this morning. Let us know what you're seeing, where you are, what you're doing and what you're hearing as well. 0344 499 1000. We'll also be finding out what the proposed new travel system is likely to mean for your chances of getting away anywhere this summer. And we'll be asking Kevin O'Sullivan, why on earth Glastonbury organisers have been handed nearly a million pounds they're already having a festival this year, aren't they? And of course, because it's Friday, it's time for another sparking edition of the Perrier Awards. Uh, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting this week with Yorkshire's finest, Izzy Rowland. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, let us say a very good morning and a very happy Easter to Lee Anderson. Lee, how are you doing? How you doing, Mike? Thanks for having me on once again. Not at all. Very, very pleased to see you because you are one of the many people that we like to talk to who exude common sense, Lee. Now, talk to me about this COVID vaccine passport situation. I note that you're not one of the signatories to the uh, to the letter that the MPs have written, um, but what's your view on it all? Yeah, I, I mean, I did I did get asked to uh, to sign a letter and, and I said to my colleagues, I need to have a good think about this because I think th- this is something I'm totally against, by the way. Yeah. Um, COVID passports. I don't believe it's 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 the right way. It's uh, it's a slippery slope, um, and it can lead to all sorts of problems in not just the near future, in 10, 15, 20 years' time. You know, we've become, become a total nanny state. Mm. But that said, uh, we have a problem, I think, with this because I think there's a lot of the general public actually support this idea, and it's very divisive, uh, and that's where the problem is. So mm. I've I've only had a conversation with colleagues in, in Parliament, not actually had a conversation with government about this yet. So. I shall be making my uh, my views known and, and letting government know that I am against this. Um, I think it infringes on our civil civil liberties. I think it's going a little bit too far. But let's see what uh, the PM has to say on Monday or Tuesday, whenever it is. I don't know what he's going to say about it. 
and I've got an open mind at the moment, but mm. from a personal point of view, I'm dead against it. I mean, I was listening this morning to um, a hospitality professional talking about how expensive it was going to be apart from anything else, because if you've got a pub and you need to put somebody on the door of that pub to check whether somebody's got a vaccine passport, uh, he reckons that's going to cost around about forty to £45,000 a year because they do it seven days a week. Yeah, it's, it's a massive cost to the hospitality industry. And, and also, Mike, you, you know what the scammers and the fakers are like. You know, within 10 minutes of this this being produced, this uh, whatever it is on, on your iPhone or, mm. or your smartphone, somebody will have discovered a way to get something on your phone that looks like you've got a pass. So it could actually be have a negative impact. So we need to think you know, long and hard before we introduce this sort yeah, of system. Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of people were very happy when they saw what was, what was going on in, in Barcelona the other day when they had a massive concert for 5,000 people. All of those people were wearing masks. They were all tested before they went in. I think people would go with that more than they would with an actual vaccination-type passport. Because let's face it, you know, if you're under 50 right now, you haven't had the vaccine. And if you're 20 or 30, you're probably not going to get the vaccine till the back end of the summer. So why should you not be allowed to go in anywhere? Well, yeah, exactly right, mate. It looks like coercion, and it's going to affect the, the younger age groups, you know, the people that, that probably value their uh, the liberty a little bit more than those old fogies, mm. uh, the people that want to get out there, watch sporting events, watch uh, concerts, get out there and have a few pints with their friends. They're the ones that are sort of being coerced into having a vaccination. Uh, and, you know, it doesn't sit too comfortably uh, yes. with me, actually. I mean, that, the only, that, the only thing I would what? say, Lee, is if you're an England rugby fan, you'd probably be quite happy not being forced to watch England playing at the moment until they get a decent <laughs> uh, decent team and a decent uh, coach back again because they were dreadful during the old Six Nations. But enough about that. Let's talk about yeah. uh, the lockdown in general, Lee, because obviously you guys are in a uh, Eastern <laughs> recess at the moment. Um, what are you hopeful of um, next week when we hear, we're going to hear about travel plans, possibly some kind of traffic light system. Obviously, we're yeah. looking forward very much to opening uh, the pubs and the restaurants on the 12th of April. We're hoping that you might be able to join us in, in our pub here when we do a show yeah. a week on Monday. Um, you know, that's going to make a massive difference to so many businesses. Oh, oh, massively, Mike. I mean, look, I'm chomping out the bit. I can't wait to get down to London, to that Witherspoons, to, to meet you for a pint in the beer garden on the 12th of April. Mm. Uh, I've not been to the bar for about six months. Right. Uh, your producers told me it's about six years for you, so you can get that <laughs> in your pocket. Well, listen, um, I don't, yeah. I don't mind. Listen, if, the trouble is, people keep buying me drinks, Lee. I can't, you know, you know, it's hard for me to catch up. So yeah, it's a full English and a pint of smooth for me, please, Mike. Mm. But seriously, yeah, I mean, people, they can see the way out now. They can see the roadmap. Uh, they're a little bit excited. I'm excited, and the local publicans in Ashfield and Eastwood, where I represent, they're very excited. They're getting geared up. The gazebos are out now in the gardens. They're they're putting, uh, they're painting the benches. They're getting their umbrellas up. They're mm. they're really looking forward to it. And I hope it can, you know, we can kick off uh, on the 12th and it'd be a great success for our local hospitality businesses. Yeah, I think so, because it does seem as though, despite what's going on in Europe, it does seem as though uh, we're on the, the, the tail end of this thing now, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I think we're on the front foot, you know, 30 million people vaccinated. Uh, the infection rates are down. The hospital admissions are down. The deaths are down, thank goodness. And it looks like finally, after a year, the UK is the place to be. Mm, absolutely right. I mean, you wouldn't want to be in Germany right now or France where, uh, you know, the vaccine rollout has been p pitiful, uh, for want of a better word. But let's talk about another area of your interest, Lee, because you've been uh, very hot on the heels of Prissy Patel putting pressure on her to initiate a better system of stopping these migrant boats from coming across. I'm seeing a story today in which it says 192% more migrants have headed across the channel this year so far. And if that continues, we're going to have 25,000 
um, migrants who will have come across in boats um, for yeah. 2021, which is a huge number. Um, and frankly, you know, we were talking to Nigel Farage about this last week. Her new plan, it doesn't really se- seek to stop any of that. Well, I'm not sure about that, Mike. I mean, I, we've not read the, the full detail of the plan yet. The, uh, what it does do is it makes, uh, it makes it very difficult for illegal immigrants. Let's remember, these are illegal migrants coming up the channel. They're yeah. not actual uh, bona fide asylum seekers, because right. if they was, they wouldn't be leaving France. So right. I don't know how many French people are on them boats. Probably none. None. They're all from thousands and thousands of miles away. But what this new bill, uh, this new act does do is stop uh, asylum seekers or illegal immigrants claiming asylum if they've already passed through a safe country. Now, that itself, I think, is a deterrent. Once we get that in place, once we make it impossible for them to claim asylum, once we start deporting them within 24 hours, then they'll stop coming. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. And there really isn't any other way of doing that, just apart from just getting on with and doing it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, because of COVID, we've had these problems over the past year. You know, the parliamentary process has been slowed down. This should have been uh, in Parliament last year, but we've had all these problems. It, it is frustrating, Mark. It, it winds me up. We're being taken advantage of, but, you know, it needs a change in the law. Mm. We need to, to, to give the left a chance in Parliament to, to have a whinge and moan about it. That would be very revealing. Yeah, I can't well, wait for, to get that debated. No, quite. I mean, the thing that Nigel Farage said was that the problem for us at this moment in time is that there is still a legal get-out clause for these characters uh, and their lawyers because we're still party to uh, the European Court of Human Rights. Yeah, we are. Uh, you know, I think we're, we need our own Bill of Rights in this country. That's something that me and uh, the Common Sense Group talk about on a regular basis. Things are happening. You know, we've, we've introduced the, the crime and sentencing and, and, and sorry, the police bill. Uh, we've got the new asylum uh, secure borders uh, bill coming. Lots of things are happening in Parliament, but it takes ages. Like I said before, it's a, it's a very slow process, but we're getting there, Mike. Yes, you know, I saw a document actually yesterday, which I don't think is particularly confidential, suggesting that you guys in Parliament might be back to what would be regarded as normal in terms of populating the, uh, the chamber uh, sometime in May. Well, I hope so. I mean, we've been banging on about this for months now. It, it sends out, a, 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 you know, the wrong message when people at home see the green benches uh, almost empty, very sparse, and yet we're telling people to go to work, go to school, you know, empty our bins and, and the like. But at, at the end of the day, that's down to the Speaker of the House. Mm. Um, it, it's his decision. It, we have to abide by the rules like anybody else does in the workplace. Uh, but we're putting pressure on. I want to see them green benches full. And I want us to, to restore democracy as soon as possible. Absolutely right. Now, the other big story of the weekly that I want to touch upon is this race report which came out uh, the other day, which I've never seen so many people on the left side of politics so disappointed to be told that Britain is not institutionally racist. You can barely you can barely get to, to hear anything other than the screaming coming from them. Well, look, I've not read the report, Mike, but if David Lammy is against it, then I'm all for it. He, <laughs> he, he, he is my political compass. If he, if he walks north, I'm walking south. Right. But, you know, seriously, I believe that this is a, it's an evidence-based report which has found, you know, there is racism in our mm. society. We all know that. But mm. we're not institutionally racist in the UK. We need to stop this nonsense. 99% of this country just want to crack on with living their normal, everyday lives and not be bogged down with this wokery, this nonsense. You know, they couldn't give a toss, especially the people in Nashville and Eastwood. Stop this nonsense. Yeah. Let's let, let's get on with it. Yeah, people want to get back to work. They want to get back to watching football. They want to get back to going down the pub. Uh, they want to get back to playing football, some of them. And it's all just about, you know, taking... Uh, more time to kind of, you know, they're almost like masochistic against their own country, some of these people. I, I don't know what the problem is, Mike. You know, 
it, uh, the mind boggles. If these people hate our country so much uh, and our heritage, our history, our culture, and everything that goes with it, and I tell you what, there's some spare dinghies at Dover. At Dover. Go and get one of them yeah. um, and go to France. See how you like it there. See how you like it in yeah. France, because France is a very, very different country to us. Um, incredibly, um, you know, Emmanuel Macron uh, now goes around saying that he knows more about epidemiology than any of the scientists. Uh, there are people who buy into this ridiculous European Union idea that they can and basically bully anyone uh, in Europe that they feel like bullying. And it's an extraordinary state of affairs, isn't it? Well, it is. I think the, I think the mask has slipped on, on Macron. He, he's a spent force, he, you know, and, and other leaders in Europe have been revealed uh, for what they really are through this pandemic with, the, with the, uh, the vaccine rollout in the UK, a massive success. They're being spiteful and petty and putting their own people's lives at risk just to score political points. You know, quite frankly, they should be ashamed, some of them. I mean, in terms of the Tory party lead at the moment, uh, you must be dancing in the streets because uh, no matter what Boris Johnson does, whether good or bad, and I don't agree with everything that he's done over the past yeah. few weeks, um, you know, poor old Keir Starmer uh, can't get anywhere near him. Well, I've just been reading my latest book, um, Mark. I don't know if you can see this. Uh, it's a great read. I'll bring it down um, on the 12th of April. Uh, it's all about hindsight. Oh, yeah. Uh, but... but <laughs> But seriously, I, th I think Sakia has got a big problem here, uh, a real big problem. He, he cannot connect with the left or, or the or the centre right of his party. Mm. And you know what? I've said it before. You know, I think somewhere in Islington there is an uprising at the moment. Um, there's going to be a shed door uh, open very shortly. That the pots of jam will be thrown away. And we might see the, the real leader of the Labour Party return. Yes. Well, I mean, the trouble is you don't actually know any longer what the Labour Party stands for. You know, the only place they seem to gain any kind of foothold was Putney in West London, which is not normally known uh, as a place that's full of radical socialists, really. Um, and yet up, well, in the yeah. north, up in the north of England and areas like where you where you won your seat, Lee, um, the working class people of those parts of the country have completely been deserted by Labour. Well, they have, and, and I see this week, or over the past few weeks, they're trying to rebrand themselves as the party of law and order. Mm. Now, we know that's nonsense. Um, we saw in December in a debate where it took part in where they, uh, about deporting foreign criminals, every single Labour MP that stood up and spoke was against it. They yeah. said it was cruel, it was inhumane you know, to deport murderers and rapists. And over the last six months, Mark, there's been 14, 14 leading Labour politicians that have either been arrested, jailed, investigated, or, or under investigation. Mm. So, you know, crime is rife in the Labour Party at the moment. They stand need. Yes, exactly, exactly right. And, I mean, obviously, you know, we can't get into the ins and outs of the local elections and everything that's going on because we're in an election period. We're in a bit of purder. But Hartlepool, uh, we can talk about, is a, is a, is a, is a, a by-election going on up there. Uh, that's going to be interesting, isn't it? Because if Labour don't hold that for whatever reason, uh, that could be a bad thing for Sir Keir Starmer. Well, this is a real test, Mike, of Sakir's leadership. He, he needs to win this seat and he needs to win it convincingly because this is the Labour heartlands, remember? You know, he's been the leader, what, for a year now. Uh, he's not really had a test. He's, mm. he's been an awful uh, opposition leader. He's not tested government at all. He's weak at the dispatch box. Let's see how the Labour Party brand holds up in its heartlands. You know, I predict it's going to be very close. Yes, absolutely right. And Easter, way, uh, Easter weekend, what you got planned, uh, Lee, if anything? Um, I'm doing a little bit of casework today for my constituents. Um, and then I'm going for a walk in the forest later. And I might have a few beers tomorrow. 
Uh, and Monday, I don't know, Mike. Uh, probably be listening to the Mike Graham show. Excellent. Well, I'll be working on Monday, as you can imagine. I don't take back holidays off. Lee Anderson, thank you very much indeed. A Conservative MP for Ashfield, of course. A man who speaks an awful lot of common sense. Uh, and he does it like we do here at the Independent Republic, uh, with his tongue occasionally in his cheek uh, if he wants to make fun of something. Particularly like his uh, History of Hindsight book. I'd like to have a look at that and uh, see which page Keir Starmer appears on. Uh, you can probably tell me once the book's come out, because he only looks backwards rather than forwards, doesn't he? 0344 499 thousand is the number it's friday uh, we've got perrier awards coming up a little bit later on we've got many more things to do as well we'll be talking about what's going on uh, with russia and ukraine we'll be looking ahead to uh, this next week's announcement by the government um, about vac- not just vaccine passports but possibly a sort of traffic light system for travel and also uh, we'll be talking to people in hospitality to see what they have to say about what they're expecting is going to happen to open up their businesses the independent republic of mike graham on talk Radio. Google, um, surprisingly, because you might think Google would be in the forefront of sort of changed ways of working, basically say that they want their 200,000 global employees back at their desks for an initial minimum of three days a week by September the 1st. In future, they will have to seek formal permission if they want to work remotely for more than 14 consecutive days. And I think there's 4,400 staff in London. Uh, they'll be expected to do the same. Let us talk now to Neil Carberry, Chief Executive of the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. See what he makes of it. Neil, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. This is obviously going to be one of those conversations that we we will have for the next several weeks and months because, you know, there are many people who quite like the idea of working from home. But uh, I look around London and I see these skyscrapers and I look at somewhere like Canary Wharf, which we can see out our window here from uh, from London Bridge. And I'm wondering what the future holds for any of these buildings and any of the communities in London if people aren't actually going back to offices. Yeah, well, I think we all know the economy will look different when we come back. And you've just referenced Google talking about having people back in initial three days. I think that's where the the mood is in business generally at the moment, is this kind of hybrid model. Mm. What's really important is we've got to change people's mindset when we talk about working from home. Because it's different to when we used to do it as a favour to staff, as an employee benefit. You know, you can work from home every so often. Companies have got to run their businesses. And what we've discovered is we've proved we can maintain our businesses uh, working fully at home. Every business leader I talk to is worried about opportunity and development for young workers, innovation, the kinds of stuff that only happens when you get people together. So some form of mix and a Mm. return to the office as we get out of the pandemics, uh, almost inevitable for economic reasons. Yes. I mean, do you think if this two to three days a week thing is is picked up upon that that's how it will stay or do you think it will return eventually to five? I think ultimately we'll end up in a world where the kind of working from home in inverted commas has gone a bit, mm. that we train our managers to be able to manage people wherever they are, people work more from from where they are, and that most people in big cities are likely to not do five days, they'll probably do three or four days, maybe two days in certain businesses. But of course, there's a big blocker to that, and what's something government's really got to pull its finger out on, which is we've been talking about having a three-day t- three season ticket on the trains for about 20 years. to help flexible workers um if we got that working actually at this point i think it'll get more people into london because if you do the maths once you would come in three days a week you might as well be coming in five because it costs the same 
Well, exactly right. And at the moment, we're subsidising trains to run more or less empty coming in and out of London because people aren't using them for one reason or another. Um, but I do worry more about the actual ancillary um, sort of surrounding op- op- operations, not so much the offices themselves, but also all of the businesses that aren't currently operational. You know, people that sell flowers to hotels, for example, people who drive taxis, people who um, have dry cleaning shops near where you work. So you put your stuff, you know, those kinds of things, which at the moment are just nowhere. Yeah, we don't get a lot of coverage of issues like, you know, a lot a lot of the uh, the drivers who bought those new electric taxis in London, for yeah. instance, you know, they got to stay stay on the payments for a, for a few months last year, but the interest is still ramping up. So, the, you know, the, people are in quite tough positions there. And I, I think getting people back uh, as we get through this, I mean, we're seeing the data from the vaccination going very well. I think London has been challenged more than in almost any other city because everybody travels by public transport or almost everybody does mm. um as it comes back i think london will look different but um there have been lots of people who've bet against major cities uh, in economic history and they've almost always been wrong yes i mean i don't go for this idea that some have come up with whereby you sort of uh, translate you translate some office space into you know affordable housing i just really don't see how you can do that uh, with any sense at all of, of economics and with any sense of, of making it um, making it work financially, you know. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to turn like the top five levels of Canary Wharf, you know, into affordable housing? I don't think so. Well, I think you're going to get um, more house developments in in towards the centre of cities, but they'll primarily be new builds. Mm. On on brownfield sites, uh, office space. Ultimately, we might go through a period where there's some unfilled office, office space. You know, every business I know is thinking about how you can use your space more efficiently and mm. maybe coming down a bit. Um, that will that will take time. But what we know is that the economy's outperformed expectations over the first few months of the year. I mean, it's still pretty gloomy, but you know, it's better than we thought it was going to be. We've got really good jobs data at the REC coming out on temporary work, and we think permanent work's about to turn around as well in terms of new hiring. Yeah. As that happens, you need a place to put them. So I think it's a it's a path of recovery rather than years of vast yeah. empty floors. And I mean, that's certainly a, a consideration as you've kind of touched upon as well, isn't it? The training of, of young people into a, a particular business or into a particular job. Very hard to do that remotely. Yeah, look, it's a it's a real issue that we get obsessed with courses. And I mean, government makes this mistake by making it all about just apprenticeships, mm. which loads of workers can't access. Um, and the, the apprenticeship levy has been an absolute disaster and needs reform. But actually, the best opportunities you and I both know from our careers, Mike, they, um, they, we've we've got an opportunity because we've been in the right place at the right time with a bit of uh, energy and vigor. And and how do you demonstrate that when you're sitting in your on your bed in your right. parents' house? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it's all very well for people who have got relatively you know, luxurious lifestyles compared to others, people who are well through their career, maybe in their 40s, probably got a decent salary, um, have got a nice house and a reasonable space to work in, maybe even a, a dedicated space to work in. But not everybody's doing that. Yeah, look, I've come across workers, I hasten to say, not amongst REC members, but people who are working on mum and dad's ironing board because right. mum and dad are working at home as well. Yeah. And I, th- I think this is the challenge for employers. It's not. It's about your business model and you need to get people together to, to innovate. It's actually also about kind of thinking about the best for the whole of the workforce. So there's a bit of a challenge here to those of us, uh, you know, like me, I'm sitting in my office at home right now um, to to know that I it's there's a duty on me to go in to help our 
uh, younger and less experienced mm. staff. As senior members of staff, it might be very nice for us to spend all our time away from the workforce. We're actually not doing our jobs properly if we do that. We have to be supporting the next generation of business leaders. Mm. No, I think that's absolutely right. So, I mean, as far as the kind of ability of people to do it, I mean, we're hearing an awful lot at the moment about vaccine passports. I know from um, from talking to people in other countries that there are some um, sort of businesses that are operating a testing system so that if you are going to be going into a, a workplace, you will be tested to ensure that it's safe for you to do that. Um, is that something you see happening here or, or do you think we would kind of blanch at that idea? No, it's absolutely already happening. And, and of course, it has been happening because lots of companies have plenty of staff who have been working throughout. Mm. You know, in one, in fact, one of the big fairness things is if you've got a load of people who are out digging up roads, um, you, saying to your office staff they never have to come into the office again seems a bit unfair. Well, it does. Um, so, Especially, I mean, of... I said that to this guy yesterday who was banging on about a four-day week, um, which is more kind of ideological than anything else. And I said, well, what about when you go to Tesco's on a Sunday? Do you expect people to be there so that they can serve you your food? And, uh, you know, it's not a four-day week is not compatible with, with manual uh, operations, is it? Well, I, I, and I think that's the thing. So coming back to your point on testing, right? Um, big change government made, absolutely right. We asked for it. Lots of business voices asked for it um, last week was instead of uh, these lateral flow tests that the schools have been using being available in the workplace, companies can now get them, send them to staff. So it's a quick test before you come in in the morning just to know that you're safe to come in and in you come half an hour, no problem, do it over your breakfast. And then what's important there is that'll also help get people's confidence back up to get on uh, public transport mm. because in reality london in particular doesn't really come back until we're all comfortable to get to get on the tube in big numbers again yes of course we're going to have masks on for a while but but that's the critical thing if i look at office-based staff it's not really we can make offices pretty covid secure quite easily it's getting people to and from them that's the issue yes and finally neil just a personal question how would you feel about having a a vaccine passport to go into a restaurant or a pub Oh, well, this is absolutely not an REC policy uh, position. because No, I'm not asking you for that. I'm just um, asking you as a, I, as a I, gentleman. My, my view, right, I'll, get, I'll roll up my arm uh, when the time comes. I, the one thing that's keeping me feeling young at the moment is I haven't been asked yet. Um, <laughs> but the, I, I, I think the critical thing is the civil liberties question, yeah. and that's a political question. I think it's come quickly. So my, my view is it might be something that's worth doing, but let's not rush it. Because these kinds of things have um, uh, have uh, uh, long term implications. Mm. My my view uh, personally would would be I would rather we were just really rigorous about tra uh, test track track and trace of people who go to pubs. Mm. Um, yeah, but you distracted we me tried, completely, they, Mike, with they, the thought of a pint. They tried all that, though, and it didn't work the last time. And we all know that there were some restaurants that were doing it and some restaurants that were doing it differently from others. I mean, I went to plenty of restaurants where if you had a table of four, uh, they, they took one name uh, mm. or they took one QR code. They didn't know who the other three people were. And they didn't bother asking you because it's not really their job. And I know restaurateurs who said, look, you know, I don't really care if you give me a fake name. Just give me a name because I've got to comply with the regulations. They want people in the door. They want them buying their food and their drink and, and paying a reasonable amount of money for the service. What they don't want is to scare people away by having all these draconian questions before you can order your plate of spaghetti bolognese. Well, look, uh, I mean, I, I, I sit on the Low Pay Commission, we recommended minimum wage rises that came in yesterday. And, you know, it, it's clear that the hospitality industry has had a horrendous time over yeah. the last year and we need to do everything to support them. So I think m my view would be actually uh, 
probably it is right to expect hospitality to be rigorous, mm. but you have to put some backing in behind them to do that. It's not just give them government giving them an instruction no. and not backing them up. No, exactly right. Neil, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Neil Carberry, Chief Executive of the Recruitment and Employment Confederation there, talking about a mixture probably of what we're going to see in terms of working practices. As he says, there's probably a lot more people working in cities than, than anybody realises. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's talk to Rialina now. Uh, we spoke to her a little while ago uh, about growing up and how growing up uh, was quite a difficult thing to do for some people. But today we're going to talk about something else because we're going to talk today about World Autism Awareness Week. Uh, Ria, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well indeed. Now, um, Let's talk about autism because people don't always know much about it. It's one of those things that many people have um, experienced in one way or another. Um, some people's children are, are on the spectrum, as they say. It can be quite bad. It can be quite mild. Tell us about your experience of it. I was diagnosed as an adult, which is not uncommon for women mm. to be diagnosed. And we're seeing more and more of that. Um, I has I was, and it's no longer considered a criteria in the DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Men of Mental Disorders, uh, Asperger's. Right. But now it's all considered in one umbrella term of autism, which in some ways um, is misleading because, as you said, autism is a huge spectrum of abilities and and difficulties that affect each person in a different way. Right. So everybody probably knows somebody who is autistic, but each person is different. As they say, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Right. But it's not always easy to know whether you have met one autistic person, is it? That's the other thing. 
Well, no, uh, because it's a something, not something. It's it's known as a, a hidden disability. It's not something that we uh, you can see visibly. It's not something that always is immediately apparent. Mm. Um, and as I and as we know that it's well, as as people may or may not know, it's more easily diagnosed in in boys uh, and and males than it is in in girls and females. So we're seeing that they're being diagnosed quite quickly right. and much younger than than yeah. women. And why are. is that then? Um, partly because the original studies that were done to to identify autism as a, as a condition were were done on on boys, and so a lot of the diagnostic criteria are very suitable for them, but they're not as suitable for girls. Now there are people working on that, and there are people who specialize in autism for for women, and and so we are learning more and more about that. Okay. But a lot of the figures, I'm very I'm very hesitant to state any statistics about autism simply because a we're learning so much, and b because uh, I. Don't don't think that they're they're always accurate when they say oh it's more prevalent in boys or mm. it's four to one any of those I don't believe because I think it's a question of accurate diagnosis yes and when you were diagnosed was that as a result of you seeking to be uh, finding out about something or was it something that just kind of happened by accident you a bit of both actually um, I I I started to as I learned. So actually, I had a I had a childhood which was fraught with a variety of troubles, but never once did autism come up as a word. It mm. just it wasn't around. I in fact I was completely unaware of it growing up, and I think so were my parents and probably many of the people at the schools that I went to growing up. Uh, but when I hit my twenties and I struggled a lot as an adult with with the things that that we struggle with with social interactions and just following conversations and and being overwhelmed you know uh, sensorily just by the world around mm. me um it's you know it came to my attention and the more that i looked at it and the more i looked into it i went this this feels very familiar and then somebody else came up to me actually after a show and some they worked for the national autism society and spoke to me as if i knew that i had it right. and they went oh i'm so sorry it just seems so clear to me that you did have huh. it i thought you knew you had it and then that what sent me on my journey to to look into okay. whether or not I did, and so how uh, would, which resulted in diagnosis. Yeah, and how would it have manifested itself then for you? For me personally, um, I, I have to say, and, it, and, and this is not the same for all people, uh, it mani in childhood very early on, it was very clear that I wasn't uh, as socially capable as my peers. Mm. I was always very much alone, very unable to make, I could make a friend, but I couldn't make a group of friends. And I certainly never had social circles, as we would call them. Uh, I also, um, and this is not a trait that and this is a trait that we unfortunately attribute to all of autism and it isn't but i happened to have the mathematical and, and attention to detail abilities that we sometimes see stereotyped mm. on television which meant that i was also advanced in school so that also didn't really help anything being younger than your peers and unable to connect with your peers anyway right. um uh, I certainly am uh, very sensitive, uh, have certain sensor, sensory sensitivities, especially hearing and touch, uh, temperature sensitivities, which can be quite maddening if you're paying, you know, if you feel like you can feel every hair mm. on your body raise if the wind blows, that can be very distracting. Right. Labels on clothing drive me mad. I, I, you know, I tend to wear anything that doesn't need ironing. I'll wear that. Yeah. Um, if you need to iron it, no, that's it. It's too uncomfortable for yeah. me. Interesting. Uh, those so, kinds of things. Sorry, I was going to say. So, having been diagnosed, what do you do? How do how do, how do you help yourself then, uh, knowing now that you are uh, autistic or on the spectrum? How what do you do to try and kind of make that your life easier then? 
it well it's actually a double-edged sword diagnosis because i did lose myself for about a year everything that i thought was me everything that i thought defined me as as ria as a person i felt that i'd lost that because it became it was just in a textbook so mm. i had to rediscover who i was what defines who i am as a person as opposed to the condition that it was clear that I'd been living with this whole time. So that was one side of it. But the other side of it is that there are a lot of techniques. I mean, in terms of understanding things like meltdowns, understanding energy overload, being able to uh, regulate my environment or being able to avoid situations that would send me into meltdown. Mm. Uh, none of those things I'd ever thought about or considered. And that really, really helped me uh, essentially Matt it's 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 an for me it's an energy management process understanding where I things that I just can't do mm. uh, and asking for help uh, one of the things that I, I I'm married I've been with my husband now for over 17 years and one of the things that we realized is I don't read faces correctly so we were having a lot of arguments because I was misreading his his expressions right. and that so then we consciously would go are you angry your face looks angry or are you confused your face looks confused and then he would go no, no actually this is how i'm feeling and so even very simple things like that and that's probably useful to people who aren't autistic is to be able to go is this what your face means mm. right now that could probably be helpful but that certainly helped us in terms of understanding where we weren't communicating and, and does um, your and does your spectrum change over time are you always going to be like this or is it going to be changing over over years that's a very good question because uh there are, there are, there are, um, especially with with what I will say is Aspergers. Even though, as I said, it doesn't exist as a diagnostic term anymore. Uh, we are adaptive, very adaptive. What you find, especially in in girls and women with autism, is that they they wish to be socially accepted. And one of the things that they use that that hyper analytical skill for is to observe a situation. And actually, girls with autism are often known as chameleons because they go into a situation, they observe everyone else's behavior, and they adopt that behavior mm. for that time. It takes a lot of energy to do that. But because they are able to be adaptive and because we learn over time, there's a lot of self-awareness of every time as a teenager you say something wrong you've done something wrong uh, some of us will clock that and go oh don't do that behavior and it becomes a huge database of do's and don'ts but it does mean that as you grow older you can become uh, and I'm using air quotes if you're listening on the radio but air quote less autistic or at least it can become less of, of uh, a disability mm -hmm. for people as they learn to adapt now again I like to stress this doesn't necessarily occur for all people and of course there's there's a whole spectrum of abilities you've got people who are nonverbal or selective mute who have other issues and difficulties and some of those may get easier over time and some may get more difficult and I and I can't stress that enough that I'm only speaking from my own perspective no sure well listen um, I think we've made a lot of people more aware now of, of exactly what it is but as you say it's what it is for you as opposed to what it is for everybody but I think people who have got children who are on the spectrum and who know people who are on the spectrum will understand something of what you said Ria so thank you for uh, for doing that for us. Ria Lina uh, there for World Autism Awareness Week. It is something which affects an awful lot of families and um, in very, very many different ways. So I hope that you found that uh, uh, at least in some way informative and certainly uh, possibly even interesting. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Good Friday. It's 12.47 and it is time for this. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Now, 
it's always nice at the end of a tough old week uh, to have a little bit of fun, which is what we're about to do uh, in the company of Yorkshire's finest, uh, Izzy Rowland. Why are you laughing at that? I mean, you are Yorkshire's finest, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know a lot of people from Yorkshire. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, am I the only person that you know? (laughs) You're not the only person, no. But I mean, it's a long way away from London, Yorkshire. It is a very long way away. I haven't been up that way for a while. No. Nobody has. Well, you know, when things open, I'm sure my mum would love to have you. Well, I keep people keep telling me to go to Skipton. I don't know why. Skipton? Yeah. Oh. Mm. I've had about five recommendations from there. Oh, well, well, we could do a tour. Could we? we? Yeah, yeah, we could do a do tour. Do we have to? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, on with the show. On with the show. Uh, welcome to the Perry Awards. Thank you very much. This is where we uh, look back on the so-called independent so republic of Mike Graham on talk radio and choose our favourite moments. Mm. So, Mike, following tradition, the first Perry Award goes to you. Thank you. For the pronunciation of the week. 03444991000. Coming up a little bit later on, Helena Nicklin joins us for the the Thursday Club. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) deepest depths going on there. Uh, The Thursday Club. I don't know why I found that hard to say, Thursday. It shouldn't be. Thursday, I think my tongue got sort of stuck somehow. Yeah, I mean. Thursday. You do do have such a lot of information to just process. You have to just kind of get it I do, I do. And occasionally it goes wrong. I mean, it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, but only only once in a blue moon. That's true. Very true. Um, Speaking to our favourite political commentator, John Rental spoke about paying money for his work. Mm. This is the accidental plug of the week. We do charge for some, uh, some special stuff, including... Some of the stuff that I write. Anyway, that's enough of an advert. I didn't expect it to go on for five minutes. <laughs> it's true. I started sort of giving you a compliment. It suddenly turned into an advert for the Independent. Yeah, yeah. Very. We should charge him for that, it shouldn't should, we? Yeah. I'll uh, find out how much the rate is. <laughs> well, how much is the newspaper? Uh, well, his newspaper, he was explaining, doesn't exist anymore. It's online oh, only. Okay. But the yes. iNewspaper, newspaper, which mm. is a sort of coagulation of some stuff from the Independent and other stuff, yeah. is only 65p. Oh, well. Which is a lot cheaper than the Guardian. Well, as you stay may know. tuned, ladies yes. and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, so following our Scottish election coverage, we spoke to Willie Rennie. Mm. This award is for the biased award of the week. But I think I well, I mean, it. I would expect you to I say that, to be. You know, I would expect that. <laughs> An objective view of a sample size of one person, I mean. Yeah. Um, but sounds like, no it sounds like a very I... Donald Trumpish thing to say. <laughs> Did that start a bit late, that one? What the? I didn't hear him actually say that he won the debate. Is yeah, he said yeah. Okay, should we play it again? Yeah, let's play it again from the top, Maestro. But I think I well, won. I mean, the, I would expect you to I say won that. The debate, ah, it's you know, I yeah. that. <laughs> an objective view of a sample size of one person. I yeah. Yeah, um, but sounds, like, sounds like a very I, Donald Trumpish thing to say. It is very Trumpish, isn't it? It is very. I won. I won. I won. Yes. Yeah. I was gonna. I was gonna try to do a Trump. I I won. I won the debate. Okay. Carry we on. need Lewis McLeod on. We speed do need though. Lewis McLeod. Where is Lewis McLeod? Well, he's on. He's on next week. Is apparently. he? Yes, good. Okay, yeah, I look forward which to that. Which will be good. Excellent. So, uh, Lisa and Andy um, joined Julie Hartley Brewer this week mm. on her breakfast show. She told Julia about her unconscious bias training. This is for the innuendo of the week. I did it with Eric Pickles, which I can tell you was quite an experience. <laughs> I'd have paid good money to watch that. <laughs> I wouldn't have paid good money no. to watch that. I've seen Eric Pickles. Have you? Yeah. Oh. I'll say no more. Right, well, saying no more. Nothing personal, Eric. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't mean Eric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the second innuendo of the week. So is that the yeah. thing you're going to flash at the, at the airport? Then? <laughs> <laughs> Who did I say that to? You were speaking to Simon Calder about oh, okay. that. Oh, yes, OK. Yeah, well, you know, we, we do a lot of innuendo, he and I. Yes, yes, He keeps asking do. me on holiday with him. 
well, I don't know what to. I don't know how to let him down gently. I don't want to go on holiday with Simon. Why Coleman. not? Why not? Well, because it's not my idea of a holiday. Traipsing oh. around, filming everything. You know, he might going, get you on a bicycle. Going, yeah, he cycles a lot. I don't fancy any of that. <laughs> he walks a lot as well. You know. Not not your. Uh, I not tend your to do a lot of lying around on, on a sunbed and a bit of swimming. Oh yes, yeah. that would be good enough for me. Yeah. Well, maybe you could do that and Simon Calder could go and do his filming and he whatever. He could? Simon who? Simon Calder? Calder. 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 It's Calder. Calder. Calder, yeah. Calder. Calder. <laughs> this is what Yorkshire does. Calder. 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 <laughs> Horse. Calder. 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 There we, there there we, we go. go. So, uh, Calder. Thank you. Uh, so, yesterday was a special day for many reasons. Mm. One, because it was Thursday. Yes. But two, because it was the 1st of April, which means it's April of Fool's course. Day. Now, you took it to another level and asked The Guardian whether their cost of paper was an April Fool's Day. What happened next? Mm. Well, this is the Perrier for the April Fool's of the week. But the best April Fool today for me is from the front page of The Guardian. It's not the story about Downing Street and the race report. It's not the betting boss who's won uh, or paid £421 million. It's not the investigation of sexual abuse. It's the price. They put the price to £2.20 for The Guardian. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's only got 56 pages in it, right? It's really not very, not very good at all. It's not, is it? Should we do it? Shall we? Shall we? Should we just, you know, carry on ripping it up? There you go. Two pounds twenty. You must be having a laugh. It's very good. Much, much enjoyment is uh, extracted from me yes. doing that. Yeah. People like to see it as well. Yeah, they do. And you know, for anyone who's listening at home, if you would like to buy a ripped up piece of paper mm. uh, from Mike Graham, we are selling them on eBay. Twenty p so- go. <laughs> 20p ago, yes. What do proceeds go to? Um, any charity you like. Yeah, okay. Um, whatever charity you like. Yeah, so. there you go. You name the charity. <laughs> yeah, we'll just get you to keep ripping them up and then I'll put the money in. No problem bank, at so. all. No problem at all. But I did, there was a serious point that I made later that the BBC mm. buys, we think, in excess of 20,000 Guardians a day. Yeah. Right? £2.20 a time. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of tax. 40 odd thousand yeah. quid a day. Gosh. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, m- maybe we should get one of the uh, homeschooling segments, mathematicians. And, I thought uh, we stopped all that. Oh, yes, we have. Yeah, sorry. How <laughs> soon you forget. It's school holidays. I know. Right. Thank goodness. There you go. Um, so the Archbishop of Canterbury mm. um, quashed all rumours that Megs and Has got married three days before their uh, national yes. televised wedding. Which was obviously another another mind blowing oh. uh, scenario. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> uh, this is for the Hotline Bling Award of the Week. But he would view God as his employer. <laughs> well, I'm sure she's got people that know God. I mean, almost yeah. certainly she would have a, a, a you know a communication line open. <laughs> communication. <laughs> she line. must have. Harry, yes. Harry, get me God. <laughs> okay. I Can wonder, you imagine? Yeah, I wonder what number you'd have to call. If anyone knows the number, please yeah. let us know. Yeah, well, we have the God line here. Did you not? Nobody told you about it? No. Oh, okay, well, you'll have to ask Adam oh. or Mark. Oh, okay. They'll tell you about it. Oh. Maybe they haven't given it to you. Oh, yeah, maybe. If enough. it's in the wrong hands, yeah. bad things could happen, it's possibly. It's true. Mm. Very true. Oh, well, on that note, mm. the uh, final perrier is for the rant of the week. Good. You... And your listeners are paying one million pounds an hour to keep those trains running empty all around the country. Right. They they are da- they're still happier. only one 
one in five of the um, <laughs> usual passenger numbers. Unbelievable. I don't know who's running this country, Simon, but I'm beginning to think they don't know what they're doing. I mean, that is incredible. I was trying to think of that statistic earlier because yeah. I wanted to know. I said to somebody, you know, that we're running the trains at a ridiculous subsidy. Yeah. A million pounds an hour. That's absolutely... That's ridiculous, isn't it? Mind-boggling. Incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you for the Perry Awards. Not at all. There will be more next week. Thank you. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 